Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zen 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Hi, Helen Gone listeners. We are so excited to share these case updates with you. Did you know that you can hear this bonus episode, plus three more, completely ad-free and before everyone else, in the iHeart True Crime Plus channel, exclusively on Apple Podcasts? Don't wait weeks for the new episode. Subscribe today to get early access to all the available case updates with no ads. Subscribe to Helen Gone on the iHeart True Crime Plus channel today, exclusively available on Apple Podcasts. I am driving from my dad's house in Mountain View to Melbourne down Highway 9. This will be the first time that I've been on Highway 9 in quite a while. The drive has not gotten any easier. It is a rough drive. It's really curvy. It's almost like as soon as you cross over the bridge, it says sharp curves for the next 20 miles and you have to really concentrate and there's no shoulder and the road gets really skinny. So I find the drive, even in the daytime, um, a little sketchy, even more so at night. So I'm driving to the pretrial hearing. So far, there's been a hearing for a motion to suppress Billy Miller's confession. 
and that was denied. This is the pretrial hearing. I have no idea what they're going to be covering. Um, I'm just going to show up and see what I find. I don't know how many people are going to be there. I just, I don't know anything. I'm just going to go in blind and see what happens. The last time I drove this specific route down Highway 9 was four years ago. At that time, I drove from Mountain View and went to a specific outlook about five miles from Melbourne. It's a scenic beauty spot, but it's also a place where some people stop to dump trash. I went there because more than 18 years ago, this is the place where police found the body of 22-year-old Rebecca Gould. Rebecca Gould disappeared on September 21, 2004. All I knew about the case at the time was what I read in the papers, that on the day before, on the morning of September 20, 2004, she dropped her boyfriend, Casey McCullough, off at work at Sonic. After that, Rebecca stopped at a gas station called the Possum Trot to buy a breakfast sandwich and coffee. Then she went back to Casey's trailer to pack her stuff. Rebecca's life was in transition. She had just enrolled at a college in Fayetteville and moved into an apartment there with her sister, Danielle. She was supposed to pick Danielle up that morning so that they could drive back to school together. But Rebecca never showed up. Danielle spent the day frantically calling her friends, but no one had seen Rebecca. And the next day, Rebecca was officially reported missing. At Casey's trailer where she was staying, law enforcement found blood everywhere, on the mattress, in the carpets, and in the washing machine. But Rebecca was gone. It was a week later when searchers found her body in that embankment off Highway 9. She was still wearing her cropped black T-shirt with the word music printed on it in rhinestones and her underwear. Her body was badly decomposed. For the next 18 years, Rebecca's case would be one of the most notorious cold cases in the state of Arkansas. I had followed Rebecca's case for years. I'm from Arkansas, and my younger sister Caroline was very good friends with Rebecca's baby sister, Danielle. They went to high school together, and my dad and my sister still live in Mountain View. That's in Stone County, which is right next to Izzard County, where Rebecca was murdered. And in 2018, I showed up with a couple of producers to make a podcast. That became the first season of Hell and Gone. By the end of the season, I believed that the lead Arkansas State Police investigator, whose name was Dennis Simons, was doing nothing to investigate the case, and that he was fixated on someone else, a guy named Chris Cantrell, who had nothing to do with the murder. The crime scene indicated that Rebecca was murdered in Casey's trailer, and then her killer, or killers, took her body out and dumped it by the side of the road where it was found. Based on that crime scene and interviews with witnesses, I developed a theory. I believed that either Casey McCullough or someone connected to Casey McCullough or his family had something to do with it. Because I thought that anyone who would bother to clean up that crime scene would have to have a reason for doing it. In January of 2020, a new lead investigator named Mike McNeil was assigned to the case. He called me in early 2020 and said he'd heard I had some audio. He wanted us to send it to him. And over the next several months, 
there seemed to be renewed interest in the case. Journalist and true crime author George Jarrett and Jennifer Buckholtz, a private investigator and professor of criminology, started a Facebook group called Unsolved Murder of Rebecca Gould. And then, in November of 2020, we got the news that we had been waiting for for so long. There had finally been an arrest. The man who was arrested was 44-year-old William Miller, and he goes by Billy. He's Casey McCullough's first cousin. Now that Billy's been caught, we're beginning to answer a lot of the questions we've had for so many years about Rebecca's case. New information has been revealed, and some parts of the story aren't adding up. I still have a lot of unanswered questions, and I made a promise to Rebecca and to all of you in the first season that I wouldn't stop until I did my best to get justice and answers for Rebecca. I'm Katherine Townsend, and in these bonus episodes for season one, I'm going to walk you through everything that's happened in the past few months and figure out what's missing. This is Helen Gone. Hey, y'all, it's Catherine. As you know from Helen Gone, crime can happen to anyone at any time. When it comes to home security, your best line of defense is your vigilance and preparation. That's why I recommend Simply Safe Home Security. Obviously, we cannot control everything that happens out there in the world, but when I'm in my own home, I feel very reassured by the fact that I have a home security system. And Simply Safe is affordable, easy to use, and crucially, it's easy to get started with and then build on later as you need more functionality. They have a huge variety of indoor and outdoor cameras. It's backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day with no contracts and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash Helen gone. That's simplysafe.com slash Helen gone. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. 
With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. First, let's go through Billy Miller's confession. We learn that Billy had been in the Mountain View area for a brief period of time, visiting family. He claimed that he was helping his mom and brother Jeremy move from Arkansas back to Texas. If you remember on season one of Helen Gone, we talked to someone who said they had seen a man, a white man with a darker complexion and black hair, a man who matches Billy's description, with a woman at Casey's trailer talking to Rebecca and then weed-eating. And that witness said that Rebecca seemed comfortable and that the man they saw was talking to Rebecca for about 20 minutes. The witness said the man was driving a blue car with Texas plates. After Rebecca's murder, Billy Miller left town with his family and never came back to Arkansas. He spent some time living in Texas. Then he got married and started a family of his own. Later, he moved to the Philippines, where he worked on oil rigs. His first marriage ended, and he married for a second time. His new wife was from the Philippines. They had another child. Meanwhile, Mike McNeil had taken another look at the case. He testified at a pretrial hearing that when he looked at Rebecca's case file, he stated that based on the evidence he saw, he believed that either Casey McCullough or someone connected to him committed the murder. Mike noticed that Billy had been interviewed in 2004, briefly, by some investigators in Texas. But based on the fact that Billy had been mentioned as someone who was present in Casey's trailer shortly before Rebecca was murdered, Mike decided to take another look at him. Mike testified that when he saw that Billy had allegations of violence and sexual assault in his past, he became much more interested in him as a suspect, and he decided that he wanted to interview him. Mike learned that Billy had come back to where some of his family members were living, in Cottage Grove, Oregon. Sources close to his family have told me that Billy was planning to relocate his family there from the Philippines, and he was looking at buying property in that area. In November of 2020, investigator Mike McNeil made a trip to Cottage Grove, Oregon to interview Billy. During that interview, Mike told Billy that he had a wash rag from the crime scene one that had DNA on it. In reality, Mike had no physical evidence, but Billy didn't know that. And it's not illegal to lie to murder suspects. Billy tried to make up a story about seeing two strange men on the back porch of the trailer on the morning when Rebecca was murdered. But Mike McNeil was clearly not buying Billy's story. He said, quote, What you were saying is ridiculous. Tell me what you did, Billy. Or tell me how you helped Casey cover it up. At that point, Billy looked visibly shaken on the video. He asked if he could step outside of the room to talk to his mother. 
And when he came back into the room, he started talking. Billy said that he committed the murder alone. He said that he killed Rebecca and that he had played everyone for a fool all these years. Billy never really offered a motive for killing Rebecca. But he did say at one point, I am a monster. Billy said that on that Monday morning, September 20th, 2004, after Rebecca dropped Casey off at work at Sonic and went back to his trailer, he happened to be hunting in an adjacent field near the McCullough's land. He said that he saw her car and realized that she was in there. He said that on Sunday, he and his mother and his brother were getting ready to move back to Texas and they went over to see Casey. While he was there on Sunday, he saw Rebecca, but he didn't actually talk to her. So Billy said that that Monday morning when he came to the trailer was the first time that he'd ever actually had an encounter with her. Billy said that he hid his truck in the woods to disguise it. Then he walked up to the door and knocked. Rebecca let him in. He told her he was Casey's cousin and he needed to use the phone. Billy said that the phone excuse was really just a pretext to get inside the house. After that, Rebecca turned around and went back to the bedroom. He said she was lying on her bed with her head facing away from the door. And Billy said that he got an urge an overwhelming urge to kill her. He said that he'd had these kinds of urges before. He was pacing around like an animal in this kind of murderous frenzy debating what to do. While he was pacing, his leg knocked against the piano. The piano leg was loose. It had kind of just been propped up there. Billy said it rolled down and he grabbed it. Then he said he went inside that bedroom and he hit Rebecca. He hit her twice, and at that point, the injuries were catastrophic, and she was bleeding out. He said that he took a necktie from the closet and strangled her until she stopped moving. After that, he was in a panic. He decided to do a quick cleanup. He cleaned up for about 15 minutes. Then he said he threw the bloody sheets and the pillowcases into the washing machine. Billy said that he tried to stuff Rebecca's body into her black suitcase, the one that Danielle, her sister, had told us was missing from the crime scene, the one that was never found. But Billy said that the body wouldn't fit. So he said that he took some of the bloody bedding material and put that in the suitcase. Then he threw her body, along with all that stuff, into the back of his truck. Billy said that he drove right through Melbourne with Rebecca's body exposed in the back of the truck. He pointed out the fact that he'd passed very close to the turnoff to the police department. And then, when he got to Highway 9, to that scenic overlook, he pulled off the side of the road and dumped her body. After that, he put the piano leg, the murder weapon, in a trash can at a nearby car wash. When police asked about the black suitcase, he told them he could direct them to the exact place in Izzard County where that suitcase was. According to information that came out during the pretrial hearing, Police officers did follow Billy's directions, and they found the suitcase. But they did not provide any information about where it was found or what was inside. After Billy confessed, he was arrested for Rebecca's murder. Eventually, he was extradited back to Arkansas. Since November of 2020, he's been in jail awaiting his murder trial. But due to COVID and other issues, the trial date kept getting pushed back. The date was finally set. For October 31st, 2022, 
But before the trial, there were some hearings. First, there was a suppression hearing to determine which evidence would be allowed in court. The first hearing was in August of 2022. And at that hearing, Billy's confession was played, and the judge ruled that it was admissible. Billy's confession was played for a room full of reporters, family members, and people who had been following this case for years. I really was worried about seeing him because of what he did, but what, I, I remember seeing his mugshot and thinking how cruel and awful he looked and everything. Then got into trial. They had him dressed in khaki and a nice navy shirt and tie. And I thought, no way, no way. I looked at him like, how could you do something this cruel? This is Diana Cox. She's a resident of Mountain View, Arkansas. Diana and her sister, Karen, have been attending all the suppression hearings of William Miller because they, like so many residents of Mountain View and Melbourne, are highly invested in Rebecca's case. Diane is active in George Jarrett and Jennifer Buckholz's Facebook group. She keeps up to date with all the new information coming out of Izzard County. I also found out that Diana's late husband, Junior, was very good friends with my dad. They grew up together in Alzheimer, Arkansas. So as it turns out, I've been hearing stories about Diana for years, and it was great to finally be able to put a name to the face and to meet someone else who cared so much about Rebecca and her case. My name is Diana Cox, and I got involved in this when Catherine came out with the Helen Gone. I had never listened to any podcasts before, but this seemed to be a big interest, and everybody got so excited over it. So that's how I got interested, and I'm still interested. (laughs) I love it, and I think my sis and I missed our calling of being detectives, but anyway. What's not too late? What do you mean it's not too late? (laughs) Diana and Karen were at the suppression hearing back in August, and she told me about her impressions of Billy's confession video. When he finally said, I did it, I killed her, nobody else knows, nobody else was involved, this is what he said, that's nobody else but me. And Catherine, it was kind of like, in a way, he was reading, like, what we have read on different things, you know, on our website and things like that. It was like, kind of like he was reading it. I don't know what, what it was about it. Well, um, that was crazy. So I just got back from the pretrial hearing. I found out there was a ton of, it, wow, it was just, it was pretty incredible. On October 3rd, 2022, I traveled back to Arkansas to attend the pretrial hearings. That's where I met Diana. On that day, the judge would be deciding which autopsy photos and crime scene photos would be allowed into evidence. And I wanted to be there. It was really important that I was at this pretrial. To my knowledge, I was the only journalist there. And if the photos were ruled inadmissible, or for some other reason, the trial didn't happen, this could be my only chance to ever see photos of what Rebecca's body looked like and what the crime scene looked like. We weren't allowed to record inside, so it was just me and my notebook for hours. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. So here's what happened. First, I saw Billy Miller in person for the first time. It turned out that instead of having the hearing in the main Izzard County Courthouse, it was held in the Izzard County District Court, which is basically a tiny room inside the sheriff's station. I got very up close and personal with Billy Miller. He was sitting right in front of me and to the left, about five feet away from me. He did not look like a psychotic killer. In fact, he looked utterly forgettable, which might be one of the scariest things about him. He didn't say anything during the pretrial. He had several lawyers, and they were challenging the admissibility of some of the autopsy photos, arguing that they were inflammatory. And they were also trying to get some of the crime scene photos, which were taken at Casey's trailer thrown out. The autopsy photos have never been seen by the public. Before they started showing the photos, the judge said, if you don't have to be here, you can leave the room. Now, I'd seen diagrams of Rebecca's autopsy, but this was the first time I actually saw what she looked like when she was found. They started showing the photos. They flipped through them rapidly, so we only had a few seconds to see each one. 
From what I could tell, if you're looking at Rebecca's body from above, she seemed to be kind of crouched down. Her legs were apart in what I would call almost like a frog position, when your legs are splayed out. To me, it looked like the killer had dumped her down that embankment on Highway 9. It looked like she could have tumbled over a few times and then landed in that position, stuck between two trees. On one side of her body, from a certain angle, you could see hair hanging down across her face, and there was some skin remaining. But once the body was turned over on the autopsy table upright, you could see that there was hardly anything left. Rebecca's body was in much worse shape than I ever could have imagined. I was shocked at the level of decomposition that the Arkansas Indian summer causes, and I think it's really important to understand how decomposed she was, because looking at it as someone without medical training, I would have thought she'd been out there for a month. She had almost no skin. She was a skeleton. I'm really glad that Rebecca's dad, Larry, and the rest of her family were not present at that hearing because no parent should ever have to see that. But I looked at every single autopsy photo because I believe that I owe that to Rebecca. As an investigator, that was my responsibility. Then we got to the photos of the crime scene. Those were also a little shocking for different reasons, because a lot of what we had been told about the crime scene, things that had been reported in the paper, were actually wrong. And this was the first chance that I ever had to look at that and to figure it out. We've been told that the first officer on the scene back in 2004 was Charlie Melton. He was the police officer who came into the trailer with Casey and who supposedly secured the scene after that. Now, presumably, that would mean that nothing was moved in there before those photos were taken. But other sources have told me that there were multiple people at the crime scene. So I just don't want to totally discount the possibility that law enforcement or someone else could have moved some of those things around before they were photographed. There were about 30 photographs in all. And because they were just showing them to see if they could be admissible in court, It took a few minutes to present them all. The lawyers and judges briefly discussed each one, which is why I called up Diana afterwards. I wanted to see if she remembered the same things as I did, just because we had to view them so quickly and we were all trying to take notes. First, I wanted to address the mattress, because since the beginning of this case, we've been hearing about this blood-soaked mattress I pictured the mattress to really have a lot of blood on it. But there was only, as you're looking at the mattress, on the right top corner was a pool of blood or a big blood stain about the size of a basketball. That Mm -hmm. was about it. And did you notice the stuff under the bed? The pillows, yes. Okay, I remember the picture that they were stuffed under the side of the bed, and you could see blood. It wasn't a lot of blood on them, but it was spotted blood on them, and they were stuffed under the under the bed, just stuffed right there. Evidently, whoever stripped the bed or whatever they done, they forgot about the pillows. That makes sense. So, like, they stripped the bed and threw it in the washing machine, but they forgot about the actual pillows. Yeah, Exactly. 
And what do you remember about the washing machine? The first picture that I remember seeing was really bloody water. And then in that thing, like up on top of your washing machine that you put bleach in, it was bloody. It was real bloody. What do you remember about the suitcases? Okay, whenever they were standing around the room, there was two suitcases sitting up against the wall. They were kind of a bluish color, mm-hmm. and there were two of them, like the suitcases you pull around, got the wheels on it. There was two of them, and that really caught my eye, the suitcases, because all we've talked about or anybody's talked about is the black suitcase that was, you know, Rebecca's, supposedly Rebecca's. Right. Well, what about, what do you remember about the interior? Well, it was, you know, like the bathroom was very neat, clean. What stood out to me was all those cleaning supplies, paper towel and stuff like that. I think it was on a table or a bar or something. That stood out to me, all the cleaning stuff. I was real focused on the cleaning products, too. Yes, they really stood out. There was a lot of cleaning products on the table or whatever it was. Um, and also, you I think you were telling me there that you didn't notice any folded clothes, right? Because we've been talking about how the, the clothes, like there were supposedly clothes folded yes. on the bed, which was the reason that, like, he, I guess, presumably someone took them out of the suitcase, put them on the bed, and then either put yes. her or put other stuff in the suitcase. Yes. Yes, that that was one thing that that we've heard, that her clothes were neatly stacked on the mattress. Well, there was nothing on the mattress. You know, the pictures that we saw, there was nothing on the mattress, no clothes anywhere that I saw. And, you know, that was one of the things, wasn't it, that they talked about? But I did not see that at all. And also, did you notice the the bloodstains in the living room? Yes, on the wall and baseboard. Yeah, and the carpet, too. But I couldn't tell whether, I think it was the living room. Yes, yes, it was. I wonder if that was maybe tracked. The way the door, the way I understand, he wouldn't have had to gone in the living room to take her out the back. Right, exactly. The, the trailer was made, you know, the back door and and everything. So was did he track it in there or what? Yeah, and they also said that um, they the, originally the, the police were saying the fight started in the kitchen or it started in the in that area, and then uh-huh. that's also kind of what my witness had said. But then, like, I don't I don't think any of the evidence I saw points to the fight starting in the bedroom. It looks like something happened on that carpet outside. What do you remember about the porch? I remember the porch was empty, all but that they call it a. Th- Thumper or a tire checker. Anyway, it was that. Yes, I remember that was it. But I remember seeing faint blood like a drag. And I do remember that on the porch. And then two spots of blood on the steps. Did you notice he seemed to be really looking at the, not the autopsy photos, but all the crime scene photos? Crime scene. He looked at all the crime scene. He did not look at an autopsy at all. And I wish they'd made him look at it. I wish they would have made him look up there at it. But he hung his head the whole time. But, yeah, he really watched the crime scene, all of them. But I tell you what, those crime scene, Catherine, really, it was kind of like a question to me on some of the stuff where it was. 
Yeah, and then William, that was also one of the things that was weird to me about his confession. He's, he mentioned everything that was online. So it, it's just, the whole thing is very strange to me. Yes, it is. It's very strange. Just like I told you to start with, it was like he was reading some of the things that he had heard or read before, you know. Yeah. On, on, on how that some of the things that come out, that how she was or how this and that. But it was to me. I don't know. He, I don't know. It's, it was a very strange confession. Honestly, after seeing the crime scene photos... I have more questions than ever, because it does seem like a lot of the things that Billy Miller have confessed to are true. But there's a piece missing, and I'm not sure what it is yet. Maybe someone else let him into that trailer, or maybe someone else struck the first blow and Billy finished it off and cleaned up. Maybe he's covering for someone else. Perhaps one of his family members was there at the time. I absolutely believe that he had a role in killing Rebecca, but I don't think he did the whole thing on his own. It's illogical that William did this in a vacuum, you know, completely by himself. This is Jennifer Buckholtz. She's a criminal investigator and professor of forensics. After she listened to Helen Gone, she got interested in Rebecca's case. Later, she contacted Rebecca's father, Dr. Larry Gould, and George Jared. Since then, Jennifer and George have worked on a lot of cases together. They also started a Facebook group, Unsolved Murder of Rebecca Gould, where they tried to use crowdsourcing to help get information and leads on Rebecca's case. A couple aspects of Rebecca's case that really caught my attention and that I thought hadn't been considered or given any attention by law enforcement is the fact that her body was removed from the crime scene to a secondary location and someone had tried to clean the scene. And those actions are super rare. Like, most killers just don't do that. They usually just grab the weapon and they flee the scene. And so that immediately told me, like, it's got to be someone who has, like, a known connection to her and that residence. The other thing that stuck out to her was the road by Casey's. You know, there's a road that leads basically from Casey's property to where Rebecca was found. And... I think there'd been, like, a little mention of that through the years, but it seemed like the prevailing theory is that the killer, like, took pavement, either went up and around through Melbourne or went down and around through Mountain View, which never made sense to me. Yeah. Because usually a person, like, they want to have a dead body in their car for the least amount of time possible. So, obviously, like, there's an alternate route that doesn't take you on pavement that's rarely traveled and you know law enforcement. Like, there's not going to be any cops out there. That'd be the logical route to take. So then it occurred to us, well, assuming they took that back road, this has to be someone either local to the area or who has spent a decent amount of time in the area. So again, it's just like the evidence kept kind of pointing to someone with a personal relationship or connection to Rebecca. Another weird thing about Billy is that before he was arrested, he actually reached out to me and also to Jennifer. He called me while I was staying at my grandmother's cabin by myself in the middle of nowhere. I was getting multiple calls a day about people of interest, and a lot of them turned out to be people whose names were being whispered around town because they knew Rebecca, but who had nothing to do with her murder. To the best of my recollection, 
Billy told me some co-workers of his had been talking about people and had mentioned the names, Chris and Jennifer. But again, at the time, a lot of people were calling me and had stuff to say about Chris and Jennifer. So nothing that Billy Miller said particularly stuck out. At least until afterwards, when I realized how creepy it was that the person who confessed to killing Rebecca called me in a remote location and presumably knew exactly where I was. Billy also made contact with Jennifer by reaching out on the Facebook group that she and George Jared had started to help their investigation. And we started that in October of 2019. And within a month, a guy named William Miller joined the group. And thankfully, due to a woman named Miranda, who had dated Casey for a year and a half, she had mapped his whole family tree for us. And so when that request to join came in, she's like, that's Casey's cousin. I'm like, well, that's interesting. <laughs> then he, maybe he lurked around for a month or so. I think it was towards the end of 2019 is when he started making comments on some of the posts. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like, aside from being Casey's cousin, there wasn't really any other red flags to his comments. I mean, he was throwing ideas out just like everybody else. We just thought that I mean, most people probably know, but my theory is that, well, he, he thinks we don't know who he is. So he's in the group to spy for Casey and his family. Right. There were definitely people, just sure. like there are with every case, of I'm course. sure there are people doing that. There's always spies, yeah. yeah. And that's fine. I mean, yeah. we want the killer to know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. We want them to see what's in our group and we want them to stay on edge. So that we don't, that's fine. And then, yeah, January 16th, which ironically is Casey's birthday, William Miller sent me the first message, like a direct message to me. And he had sent me a photo of a newspaper article, the one that says a neighbor heard screams in the hours before the murder or something like that. And he'd asked if I'd seen the article, what did I think, you know? And so I'm like, well, this is interesting because I'm talking to Casey's cousin now. And so yeah, I just wrote back like normal, you know, I'm like, thanks for reaching out. I appreciate, you know, your insight, your thought process. You know, we do know that that report from a neighbor was made to police, but we don't know the time frame. Like police have not ever divulged what time they heard the scream. So it's hard for us to put much stock in that or use it at this point, you know. And so then from there on out, we just went back and forth periodically. And he would ask a lot of the same questions that tons of other people asked. And he might have been digging a little bit, I'm sure, you know, to try to get our viewpoint on stuff. But it was really, it's fairly benign. Obviously, I've read them over and over and over again now. Like, did I miss something? And I don't really feel I do. I did. But there's a few things that he was he had more focus on than others. And one was the timeline, mm-hmm. like the actual time frame of when Rebecca was killed. He told me on multiple occasions, like, I'm trying to do what you do and put together the timeline of how, how and when the murder actually went down. And he talked several times about the maybe the person who cleaned up wore gloves. And now, you know, I'm kind of like, mm, that might have been true. But there wasn't like, you know, any huge red flag. Yeah. And then the the last conversation we had was, I think it was September 22nd of 2020. He had posted a photo in our group of Chris Cantrell. And so something about his teardrop tattoos must mean he committed a murder. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, we rarely remove posts, but that one had to come down. And then I messaged him. I'm like, no, we can't have people posting photos and pointing the finger at someone who as far as we know, has no connection to this case. So please don't do that. And 
you know, he apologized and, and that was really our last exchange, which makes sense because that's when Mike McNeil was on to him. When I was talking with Diana, we both said it seemed that Billy was studying those crime scene photos, almost like he was taking notes on them. Jennifer got a similar impression from him when she first read his confession. In fact, some of his quotes almost seemed like he took them straight from George, because specifically the one where he said he drove with her body right through Melbourne past the sheriff's department. I'm like, that's something George has said or written. Like, and, and, and we never believed that anyways. He did not drive through downtown Melbourne with a dead body in the open bed of your pickup truck. Like, nobody would do that. His wording, what really, and look, I mean, if it was, if I really believe that it was only him, I would be a lot happier right now, you know, because it'd be like, oh, justice mm-hmm. is served. Mm-hmm. But I feel like um, when I read the confession, I had exactly the same thought. I was like, this, this feels like he's been reading stuff online or something and took mm-hmm. it from there. It was really strange. Yes. And some of it just, it just couldn't be like he, I guess he said something about like he went hunting early in the morning and he knocked on Rebecca's door about eight. Well, Rebecca's supposed to be taking Casey to work at that time. Mm-hmm. Like he, so Casey clocked in at eight twelve, So right. she wouldn't have been home at eight o'clock. So that can't be true. But then he said like he committed the murder, moved her body, cleaned, did all this cleaning. And then he went back to his mom's house and they hadn't even gotten up out of bed yet. Like your your brother had to go to high school. They yeah. were certainly up by ten o'clock or whatever time in the morning. So yeah. I mean, we knew some of that just had to be a lie. There's other and and the thing about his mom, I, I know there's been a lot of speculation that she might have known something. So I just wonder how much the mom knew and when she knew it. What I've been told is that they confirmed that she knew. Now that she knew her son killed Rebecca. I don't know the time frame for sure, of when she found that out. But what I've been told is that she has known that information for quite a while and obviously did nothing about it. Billy never went to trial. On October 19th, William Miller was convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to 40 years in prison. Billy is now incarcerated at the Washita River Correctional Unit in Malvern, Arkansas. After the conviction, Billy said that he was willing to speak privately with Rebecca's dad, Larry Gould, and her older sister, Tiffany. So the three of them went into a back room of the sheriff's station to talk in private. After about 15 minutes, they came out. And according to Larry, the confession Billy gave to him was totally different than the one that he had made in court. If Billy has two different stories, that must mean that he lied in one of them. And if he lied before, what's to stop him from lying again? What is Billy Miller hiding? I'm Katherine Townsend. This is Helen Gone. Helen Gone is a production of School of Humans and iHeartMedia. Our producer is Gabby Watts. Executive producers are Virginia Prescott, Brandon Barr, and Elsie Crowley. Music is by Ben Salee. Special thanks to Season 1 producers Taylor Church and James Morrison. School of Humans. 
Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zinn 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. 